Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. What happened to music that meant something? The Who at the Kingdom or Kiss at the Coliseum. Where is the Misty Mountain Hop? Where is the is the smoke on the water? Where is the Iron Man of today? Hey, this is not a test. This is rock and roll. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I are putting on the stethoscopes, we're putting on the lab coats, the rock doctors are back in the house to aid an ailing music patient. Plus, we're going to review the ambitious new concept album from Tori Amos and the latest from one of the most important bands of our generation, Wilco. You are listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. When the night falls on you, you don't know what to do. Nothing you confess could make me love you less. I'll stand by you. That is Carrie Underwood performing the number six record in the country last week, a cover of The Pretender's 1994 hit, I'll Stand By You. It is a new hit for Carrie Underwood. The news here, folks, is that it is not available as, as a CD. It is not available in any kind of physical format. It is available only as an MP3 download from the iTunes Music Store. The first time a MP3-only single has debuted in the top ten of the Billboard's Hot 100 charts. So we've got an interesting transition going on here, Jim. Where and no the, actual CD. Uh, the physical record business is giving way to the Internet, and now we see evidence of that transition on the music charts. Well, we see evidence of that every week, and we report it because we are in a period of upheaval in the music business, and it's of some interest. Warner Music, one of the big four remaining companies, suffered an astounding loss of $27 million in the first three months of this year, prompting them to lay off some 400 people who are directly involved with selling CDs. These two stories together kind of spell out maybe CDs are going to disappear soon and therefore maybe places that sell CDs are going to disappear soon. On Sound Opinions, we like to talk from time to time to a record store in one of the towns that's airing us, one of the towns across the country. We decided to check in with Waterloo Records in Austin, Texas. And KUTFM now, by the way, is broadcasting us on KUT2, their new HD signal, and streaming us on their website. So we're going to talk to John Coons, who owns Waterloo Records. John, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Great to be here. John, you are the owner of one of our favorite record stores in America. Mr. Cotton and I have been coming down to South by Southwest for almost two decades. We've seen countless great performances there and spent a lot of money. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, um, we have a good time down here for South by Southwest. But give us a history, a little quick history of the store, John, because I've been coming to, to Austin since 1990 for South by Southwest, and everybody would say, well, what's the best record store in town? And I, everybody said, got to go to Waterloo, man. How long has the store actually been around? Well, as a matter of fact, we just celebrated our 25th anniversary here this past April Fool's Day. Wow. <laughs> uh, one of the reasons that Greg and I like to check in with record stores from time to time on Sound Opinions is because you guys are the front lines. We talk about the way the music industry is is devolving and unfolding and arguably crumbling. And uh, Warner's Music, this is in Variety the other day, right. 400 layoffs for people who are directly involved with the selling of CDs. Yeah, we lost our sales rep on Monday. How is that going to play out? Well, there's, you know, our sales rep was based in Houston, and they've got someone else on the ground there, and 
account, I'm hopeful that, you know, it's all going to play out. But by the same token, we've always been, you know, one of those stores that does a great job of taking care of ourselves. We need the information from them. We need we need them to kind of cut through some of the bureaucracy of their major label empires or whatever. But right. uh, for the most part, it's, you know, us continuing to know what we need, and, and that's everything from what we know our customers are going to want to to, you know, challenging our customers with what yet they don't know they want. The question I guess Greg and I have is, look, there was another business story last week. The uh, Carrie Underwood single, I'll Stand By You from American Idol, was the first top 10 Billboard hit that was only an iTunes release, Mm -hmm. right? Are you going to be able to get (laughs) the CDs you need to sell in order to stay in business? You know, it's it's kind of crazy to me to, you know, back in the day when there were, were albums, CDs, and cassettes all equally competing with one another, uh, I don't think anyone would think we're just going to release this in one format. You know, so that's that's where it gets crazy to me. Yeah. Uh, Warner Brothers, in addition to having these layoffs, reported uh, another major drop in revenue, 4% for the quarter. You know, I don't want to get into the nuts and bolts of your uh, accounting there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, how is the store doing, John? We're definitely beating the industry. I think CD sales are nationally are down 20, 21%, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're nowhere near that number, but certainly we've, we've uh, felt that a little bit. The situation is such that digital sales, which is kind of where things seem to be moving more, are not keeping up with the, the loss of CD sales. So until such time as, I think interoperability comes into play and and any download that's purchased will be able to be played on any on anyone's player i think it's going to be a, a tough situation for for the music industry mm-hmm. how, how does that affect your business though directly with the you know the digital rights management uh, enabling people to copy stuff on on any player uh, how does that directly impact your sales in your view you know, we, we do have a, a great website and do a great deal of business over our website, and we have been wanting to move into the the realm of selling paid downloads, okay. uh, mm. but no one wants to purchase, in my opinion, a, a Windows-based download. We are talking to John Kuntz, uh, owner of Waterloo Records in Austin. Two other questions, John. Whenever we check in with a record store somewhere that's uh, airing sound opinions, we'd like to, to ask what's what's selling now in, in uh, Waterloo. Well, in Austin, we are always really excited about the, you know, the people that are based here and of here. And uh, we've had a, a, an incredible run going with three Austinites, or in one case, a former Austinite, three females, Ruthie Foster, Patty Griffin, and Lucinda Williams. Oh, yeah. Those, those three women have been riding in the top ten of our charts for the last several months. And In fact, Ruthie Foster was one of the folks that we had out for our 25th anniversary. Now, John, we want to get your take on a couple of records we're actually reviewing on Sound Opinions this week. Uh, the Tori Amos record, which is just out, and the Wilco record, which is about to come out. Uh, any sense of uh, you know anticipation or buzz or or sales on the, on those two particular records? I think they're both going to be big sellers here. Tori Amos has just kind of had a magical hold over this town for quite some time, it seems like. Mm. And 
Wilco is going to, you know, I, I think it's just going to be fantastic. I mean, the, those guys have been riding uh, an incredible crest, and uh, they're doing something really cool with the uh, vinyl they're putting out. They're going to have a, a burned CD included in the record so that someone buying the vinyl doesn't have to go through the the process of playing it through a USB turntable wow. to be able to load it onto their iPod. You know, and so there's, you know, there's things out there that are being tried and, and working well, I think. John, thank you so much for uh, giving us an update on Waterloo Records and the record store business in Austin. All right, thank you very much. When I start to tell them, they think I'm telling lies. All right, we just heard that uh, Ruthie Foster is one of the artists whose CD is flying off the shelves at Waterloo Records in Austin, Texas. Let's hear a little bit of her latest. As always on Sound Opinions, we look forward to your feedback. Give us a call at 1-888-859-1800 or send us an email at interact at soundopinions.org. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and it's time now to help the musically ailing with another installment of The Rock Doctors. I went to the doctor and the doctor said, son, you look older than me, and I'm 71. You're falling apart, you're not living right. I went to the doctor and the doctor said, loud, you got to stop hanging out with that old in crowd. Living's a battle and you're losing the fight. Our patient this week is David from uh, just outside Minneapolis. David, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Or should I say, welcome to the doctor's office. <laughs> yeah, we've got our lab coats on, our stethoscopes. So you know what this rock doctor's concept, what we do here. Yes, I do. Tell us about your problem and what you're hoping to uh, solve. My problem is that I'm, um, I'm 43 years old with four kids, and we're trying to listen to some music together and also experience new music that I like and that I'll share with them and, and kind of will let them listen to, mm. you know, getting away from the whole kind of kids' music, but avoiding some of the language and things like Green Day's American Idiots. Does that, does that make sense? Sure. Okay, uh, so no PG-13, because they're young kids, right? Yeah, my oldest is 10. PG-13 is okay, and the occasional language is fine, but the constant repetitive language should probably be avoided. Yeah, I mean, because I had a conversation with my 10-year-old about my humps by the Black Eyed Peas. And, right. You know, was like, okay, maybe you don't want to use some of those words on the playground or at school. Uh, my theory is always as a dad that there are no bad words, only inopportune times to use them. Correct. Right. So, 
<laughs> so you dads are bonding here. It's nice to see. Nice to see we've already got some uh, bonding going on. All right, David, you want to get away from the Raffi uh, records. You want to play some true rock and roll for your kids. And they're interested as well in possibly hearing some rock and roll. But you don't want to puke while you're doing this. <laughs> That's true as well. So let's <laughs> let's talk about you and your uh, your symptoms, if you will. As a music lover, what is it that, uh, you know, are some of your core Godhead bands? I really like the band Sugar, if you remember them, and the House Martins I thought were great. I grew up out east, so I like Springsteen. I grew up liking The Who and Elton John. I have the Decemberist album, which is great. Oh, okay. So um, everything from classic rock to something more adventurous, uh, you know, the orchestral pop of the Decemberist or Sugar, for people who don't remember, was Bob Mould's kind of power punk uh, popish though, trio. Well, you're lucky. You got four boys, right? Yes. Ten, eight, six, and two months old. All right. So we're no, not going to have to worry about the kind of like insidious Hillary Duff. You don't have girls, so they're not going to be liking the, the the sweet pop. Right. Although I, one of my sons likes Kelly Clarkson, which is a little alarming. They get it on Nickelodeon. They show these videos like in between every one of those silly shows and the cartoons and SpongeBob, and then you suddenly get cut yeah. Kelly Clarkson. They can't know? avoid it. It's it's overexposure. But what I'm hearing, uh, David, is guitar-driven, melody-based, vocal-based music. This seems to have some cross appeal for you between your generation and your son's generation. Right, and 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 one of the problems with with that is because it's vocal-based, I, I can't listen to Radiohead just because. Mm-hmm. The, the voice is so kind of jarring to me. Yeah, a lot of people can't get past Tom York's uh, voice. But you've had some some failures too with the kids, right? That you've tried to play them. Right, I, I played G Love, and they weren't huge fans of that. Hmm. Um, Sinead O'Connor has a reggae album that's a couple years old. Yeah, great, great record. They didn't like that as much. Hmm. Marcus Garvey words come to pass. Marcus Garvey words come. said put the Decembers back in. Well, all right, that's, uh, they got good taste. That's interesting. High country chunkanky banging at a sweetheart left behind. Far from the hills and the sea swell Carolinas, that's where true love lies. Well, they seem to be, uh, and you uh, as well, seem to be avoiding some of the quirkier stuff in terms of the vocal tics. I mean, I could see where G-Love could be a little quirky. Maybe Sinead doing reggae isn't, you know, that conventional. Mm -hmm. uh, Beck can be a little quirky, gimmicky. 
some people might say that about the Decembrists too, but I'm hearing generally that you want more straight-ahead vocals, um, something that's not too jarring uh, in the vocal department. Right. I think I'm ready to go ahead with uh, prescription here, you Mr. Dewey Goddess. Yeah, All I right. think what I'm hearing so far leads me to a uh, band and a record that we highlighted on the show a few weeks ago, David, a band called Apples and Stereo, led by a guy I think your kids will appreciate, Robert Schneider, who I really see as just an overgrown kid. If Robert Schneider was not in a rock band, I could definitely see him playing in somebody's sandbox, probably Brian Wilson's sandbox, but instead he makes pop records. Guitar-driven, heavy on melody, incredibly exuberant and upbeat and energetic. I could see kids relating to Robert Schneider as sort of this overgrown kid just having a great time. At, at the same time, he's got an incredibly sophisticated ear for great hooks and great melodies and intricate arrangements that an adult would appreciate. New album called New Magnetic Wonder, I think is going to do the trick for you, David. All five of you are going to love this record. There's a cartoonish element to that, Greg, because I don't know if you remember, but they did do a song for the Powerpuff Girls yeah, totally. a couple of years ago. Right I up think there, that'll be. Well, you know, I was going to go in a similar uh, direction prescription-wise, uh, Dr. Cott, but it would kind of be like uh, prescribing Tylenol and aspirin. So why do that? Instead, as you know, I favor in the Rock Doctor segment the slightly more radical treatment. <laughs> this may be more radical for Dad Dave than for, for the boys, because I know, for example, that you, uh, Dad Cott, uh, do not like this band. But I, I have yet to ever meet anyone under 10, 11 years old who doesn't like Smash Mouth. Smash Mouth is a great band. This is a great (laughs) garage pop band from Southern California. If you think of them as sort of the male, no doubt, except uh, that the leader of Smash Mouth is not nearly as pretty. He's an oil oil mechanic, Yeah, these are guys who look like they came from Jiffy Lube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had this career. All-Star Smash Hits was a a roundup of the the best songs. They only had like two studio albums before that, but what the heck. They deserve a greatest hits. I think they're a fun band. David, I don't think they will turn you off because they're coming from a garage rock background. One of the songs on this greatest hits album is uh, Can't Get Enough of You Baby, which was a hit for Question Mark and the Mysterians. Mm -hmm. Another one is a really cool cover of I'm a Believer by the Monkees, of course, and and the Sex Pistols. And they have that kind of bubblegum thing happening, but the same way that Blondie, when Blondie approached bubblegum, they kind of brought a punk edge to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's also, you know, you said you, you like the Sinead O'Connor reggae album. There's also a little bit of that kind of Southern California poppy take on reggae that no doubt used to have before Gwen Stefani became a big star. And they've had a couple of songs that are saturated all over, you know, Nickelodeon and the Disney Channel. All Star was a big hit, Walking on the Sun. So I think that's a kind of a surefire prescription. Greg, you know, you give me nonstop guff about them being a guilty pleasure and I should be guiltier <laughs> than I am. I think I think you may come back, David, and not like it as much as the four boys, but you know, there's four of them, they outnumber you. So yes, I'm prescribing do. for them. <laughs> well, I appreciate the prescription. We'll talk to you in a week or so. You'll let us know how Smash Mouth and how uh, Apples and Stereo worked. That'll be great. Coming up next on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, we're going to follow up with our patient and see if our prescriptions cured his musical ills. And later on, we're going to review the new albums from Wilco and Tori Amos.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Later on in the show, we've got reviews of the much-anticipated new albums from Tori Amos and Wilco. But first, we're going to go back to our rock doctor's patient, David, to see if he and his family took his meds. It's a week later. David has had a chance to listen to the records that we have prescribed. And, David, uh, we're here to call and see how the prescription is working for you and your family as well. Okay. It's amazing. With the rock doctors, you can actually get in on two consecutive weeks, get an appointment. <laughs> My doctor, if I want to see him in 2009, I better make an appointment now. (laughs) What did you think of the two records that we uh, recommended? Well, my family and I, my my kids and my wife and I listened to both the Smash Mouth and the Apples in Stereo album, and the men of the house really liked the Apples in Stereo. And the It was really good musically. The, the last few songs were a little weird. They were less kind of poppy and upbeat and kind of more experimental, but we all really liked it. My wife didn't like it at all. Wow. Well, now, what is your? We, we talked a lot about what you and your boys uh, like, uh, but not about your wife. Yeah, my wife likes talk radio and um, <laughs> Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> all right. I don't know if we even need to talk much about, you know. But she really liked the Smash Mouth album. Oh, I don't know if that's an endorsement or a, a good thing or a bad thing. So she hated Apples in Stereo, but she loved uh, Smash Mouth, whereas you, David, and your sons, Max, Jake, Zach, and Ethan, all loved Apples in Stereo. Right. And, you know, we, we liked Smash Mouth, and, you know, I have to admit Smash Mouth was better than I thought it would be because I thought of just Shrek and um, All Stars, kind of their two more popular songs, and it was better than that. kind of, you know, put the kids in the car, put the top down on the minivan and go for a ride kind of music. And Apples and Stereo is meatier. Does that make sense? Sure. That's a good and word. Thanks. You just appreciated the, uh, maybe the melodies were a little more developed in the in the uh, Apples and Stereo record. Is that what you're saying? Or? The melodies, the, I, almost musicality, I guess I would call it. And it was just more interesting overall than Smash Mouth was. The apples in stereo are are the Beatles, and Smash Mouth is the monkeys, you know. But I was I was aiming for the kids. I thought they were, you know, you have three boys there, David, and uh, and they four. outnumber you. Yeah, or the four boys. The yeah. four boys. Well, uh, you know, here a week later, I've already forgotten. That's why I'm going to lose my license and be sued for malpractice. But there's four boys, you know. I mean, you're outnumbered four to one. You know, I'm going to make them happy first. Yeah, and, and they did like Smash Mouth, and actually, my 
my six-year-old summed it up as saying that it's a lot like rock and roll. So, you know, so. <laughs> a lot like rock and roll. It's not exactly rock and roll, but it's a lot like it. They okay. cover question mark on the Mysterians, though, for goodness sakes. fun album. I mean, they were both, but Apples and Stereo is just better for everyone except for my wife. Okay, well, we weren't prescribing for her, so no, I don't I, consider that a failure. Although, she is kind of the boss. <laughs> so neither yeah. record will be played in the No, Smash Mouth will be played in the I, house I think now. to wean her off of Kelly Clarkson, it'd be like radical <laughs> surgery. That's, you know, the equivalent of a heart transplant is what we need there. Or maybe, or maybe a frontal lobotomy. I don't know. Hey. Now, did your sons give you some quizzical looks when you put on the Apple's record for the first time? They did because, you know, the opening is, is somewhat techno and, and, and electric. Just the first song has that electronic sound to it. And so they were a little taken back by that. But once it started going, they they all really liked it. Probably didn't get all the all the lyrics, but but still really like sitting there and listening to it. So, And the look on your wife's face, I presume, was that look she gives you when you say, honey, I'm, I'm going to go out for a couple of beers with the guys. Yeah. The same kind of look. <laughs> I, I know that look. I know exactly what you're talking about, David. Basically, when, when Apples and Stereo was over, she just asked me if we had to listen to it again because she was getting a headache. Oh, man. <laughs> Harsh. I, I'm not apologizing, though, for prescribing Smash Mouth because I just love the picture of those four boys jumping up and down yeah. like maniacs in the uh, in the basement. I wouldn't want to have them in my basement, <laughs> but I'm glad they're in yours, David. This man's got a hard job. He's got to keep five people entertained besides himself with the music he plays. Wow. This is one of the hardest things in life, David is to find the one piece of music or the, the pieces of music, if you are so lucky, that when you are in a household with more than yourself, how do you keep everybody happy? If you can find that moment, if you can find those moments, you got to hang on to them because, you know, it's, a, it's a really a rare and beautiful thing. <laughs> one record that everybody in the house can agree on. Obviously a man who knows pro, uh, of what he speaks. Oh, there. my God. <laughs> you and your two daughters. My playlist your... is so limited in my household. What I can get away with and what I can't, you yeah. know, it's just unbelievable. Dad, you want to listen to that? Get back in your <laughs> hole in the basement. <laughs> well, thank you, uh, David, for playing along and for taking your medicine. And uh, good luck with the boys there and your wife. Well, thank you so much for all your help. To the doctor, doctor said shucks. That's just about all. You owe me three hundred bucks, and you can call me in the morning. That is if you're not dead.
That is Tori Amos with the song Secret Spell from her new album, American Doll Posse. The one and only Tori Amos, or should I say the one in five Tori Amos, <laughs> taking pride in her schizophrenia. She's on, Sybil. On her ninth album. She is. Greg, she is all women. She is not only Sybil, she is all women. She is the goddess. Um... I say that with all due respect. Tori Amos is a really intriguing and interesting artist who hasn't always gotten it right, but she's always tried something ambitious. In 2001, she made an album called Strange Little Girls, in which she adopted different persona, playing different characters on her album and writing in their voice. With this new record, a double album, 23 tracks, quite a collection of music, she goes even further. There are five characters on this album. As far as I can figure out, there's Clyde, who's like the hippie. There's Isabel, who's the fashion photographer. There's Pip, who's kind of the uh, the streetwise, uh, snotty, punkish girl. There's Santa, who's a, a vixen of sorts. And then there is Tori. Uh, not to be confusing here, but it is confusing. There is Tori herself, who in this album is a voodoo priestess. You know because she is choking a rooster on the cover, uh, <laughs> along with her other uh, four identities. I'm laughing here, and you have to laugh, and I think that Tori invites you to laugh. This is a very, very smart woman and a very funny woman. To recap really briefly, tremendous debut in the mid-'90s in the Missy Alternative era, doing something completely different with Little Earthquakes, a girl and her piano, a phrase that she's been trying to get away from Mm -hmm. ever since. In the years since, she has at different times done the solo thing and the band thing, The story of this album is not only the way it's written from five different female perspectives, but that she is back to rocking. There is more guitar than uh, arguably she's ever used on this album. Let's uh, hear a track from this record. It's called Big Wheel. And just so you have it right in your mind, this is Tori herself singing. And she is, of course, a mother, and she is still very happy to be sexy. And I mention those two facts because you will hear her singing about them in this song. Big Wheel by Tori Amos from American Doll Posse. Big Wheel from Tori Amos's new album, American Doll Posse. Jim, Tori Amos has always had an issue with patriarchy. Uh, she has yes. had contentious issues on a number of levels. God, ministers, generals, lovers. I think her career has sort of been devoted to looking at these authority figures that run our society and women's role within that 
and and how women can create their own identity yeah. uh, within a system that's dominated by males. I think this album is another example of that. She's creating these very distinctive female personas in a world that is dominated by males, n- never more so than that song where she's declaring, she's using this acronym that you find on porn sites <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, to declare, you know, a, a, a sexual attraction towards a mother, a married woman. And yes. Tori Amos is saying, well, it's a nasty word. I'm going to reclaim it. You know, it's cool to be sexy and middle-aged and a mom, and I'm, I'm reclaiming that word as a positive thing in my life. Absolutely. I think that's what's brilliant about that song. I think that's what's great about this album. You know, I, I got some criticism from a, a listener who contributed to our feedback segment a couple of weeks ago and said, look, you, you were saying Gwen Stefani should be writing from the perspective of a married mom, and what's wrong with her being sexy? And I wasn't saying that. I was saying, yeah, be a sexy married mom, not a sexy 16-year-old, which is what disturbs me about that Lolita routine. Tori Amos is a sexy married mom. She's singing about it. She's proud. I think it's liberating and empowering, and it's, you know, I'm anti-patriarchy too. I'm with you, Tori. Yeah, she's sexy and she's a sensualist, and I think sometimes that's gotten carried away in past albums when that's all it is. It's it's, it's kind of airy and she's out in the ether. This album could have easily been that, Jim. She could have gone into fairyland again because she's got these personas going, but it's got a lot of bottom to it. I mean, this is an earthy record. She's back to making kind of Led Zeppelin style music one of her favorites by the way she loves Led Zeppelin loves Robert Plant and you can really hear it in uh, a song like Body and Soul where there's really that rock bottom happening Jim to me, the big thing about this record, this is a glam rock record. Absolutely. I mean, you know, she is adopting these personas, much like the glam rockers did in the 70s, getting outside of her skin, creating these personas, and living in them, and creating this very, um, some of the most melodic and earthy music she's made in, in, in many a year. I think one of the downfalls of this record is that she's trying to give each character a voice and writing songs for all of them. I think if she sort of dialed down the concept a little bit and just stuck to the music, it would have been even better. But as it is, this is a terrific record. Well, the concept, I think, is part of the fun, Greg. Obviously, each of these women, she's not reducing them to stereotypes. She's saying, all of these women are part of me. You mentioned the glam rock thing. You know, it's it's interesting to remember that she started her career as a major label creation in a band called Why Can't Tori Read, you know, (laughs) where she was the ripped jeans, hair metal princess, and she hated it and despised it. But obviously a part of that hair metal, glam rock, heavy metal world has always appealed to her. She's bringing it back here. She's reclaiming all the different sides of her personality. I think on the buy it, burn it, trash it scale, you have to give it to Tori. It's the best album she's made since Little Earthquakes. It's a buy it record. You know, it's a long record, Jim, 23 songs. Not everyone is a winner, but overall, this is a very, very good record, and it's a buy it for me as well. In a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, the new record from Wilco, Sky Blue Sky. Jim and I are going to review it, as well as a Jim DeRogatis Desert Island Jukebox pick.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Time now to review the new album by Wilco. Maybe the sun will shine today The clouds will blow away Maybe I won't feel so afraid That is a track from the new Wilco record, Sky Blue Sky. It's called Either Way. Wilco is a band that's been around since 1995 from the ashes of Uncle Tupelo, uh, a band that is hailed in some quarters as alternative country pioneers, a tag that the members of Uncle Tupelo dismiss, but uh, everybody else seems to be insistent on saying, these guys invented alternative country. Nonetheless, Wilco spun off from that band and has been making records since 95. This is their sixth studio record. They've also made two Mermaid Avenue albums, uh, which were collaborations with Billy Bragg on the lyrics of Woody Guthrie. The band's lineup has changed over the years. The one constant, uh, the two constants have been Jeff Tweedy, the primary singer and songwriter in the band, and the bassist, John Stewart. Everybody else around them has changed, and, and it, the, the sound of the band has evolved over that time. In each of those six albums, very distinct sounds, very distinct sonic palettes, uh, very much influenced by whoever is in the band at the time. The well, each each album had a new lineup. Absolutely. And I will interject here, because you're too modest to, that this is all chronicled in an excellent biography <laughs> of this band, Learning How to Die, which you wrote, what, that came out when Ghost is Born, their last album came out. Correct. And uh, what's interesting about this record, Jim, is that Nels Klein and Pat Sansone, the newest members of the band, who joined right after A Ghost is Born, was created. Uh, this lineup has been together now, this six-piece incarnation of Wilco has been together for three years. That is the longest lived lineup in Wilco's history. Well, I think they toured more as this mm-hmm. lineup, too. Uh, you've probably seen Wilco come through your town, no matter where you're living, four or five times yeah, this, since Ghost is Born. This is a band that lives on the road and has been essentially gelled on the road. It was a band that was chronicled on a live album called Kicking Television in 2005. But Sky Blue Sky is the first studio record created by this new incarnation of Wilco. Uh, and it's very much a product of this being a road band. This record was recorded very much live in the studio, the band's own studio, the, uh, the loft space that it has occupied on Chicago's northwest side. Let's listen to a track from uh, Sky Blue Sky, a track called Impossible Germany on Sound Opinions. Impossible Germany Like Japan Wherever you go Wherever you land Say what this means to me I'll do what I can Impossible Germany Unlikely Japan Problem, I'll need to face 
Impossible Germany from Wilco's sixth proper studio album, Sky Blue Sky. Greg, it's interesting that you chose that track because actually it's one of my least favorites <laughs> on uh, Wilco's new album. It's a song that's been kicking around for quite some time. Yeah. And uh, Jeff Tweedy told me that they tried it in the different incarnations, you know, Summer Teeth with the orchestral pop and the art rock of the last two records, and it didn't work, and this is the first time it worked. What bugs me about it is that you have this well-respected and very, very good avant-garde jazz guitarist, Nels Klein, doing this kind of very repetitive line throughout that whole song, and it just, it frankly, it bores me to tears, like, buy the band a fuzz box, you know? Oh, uh, my God. Well, see, Jim, I, I think you're missing something really essential about this album. Uh, first of all, there's three guitar players on that record, and each one is kind of very, uh, it, it's beautifully done the way it's mixed. Pat Sensone, Nels Klein, Jeff Tweedy, all playing guitar on that record, and there's sort of these intertwining lines that I think are really beautiful and well-played in real time. I think it's a, you know, it's a marvelous uh, testament to very subtle guitar interaction. This is not an explosive rock record, and I think it's emblematic of what this record is all about. Well, fair enough, Greg, but, uh, you know, I I don't hear it, Uh, and I have to say that this album took me longer to get into than any album Wilco has put out. I listened 12 times, and it was only on the 13th intensive listen that I really started to appreciate the more beautiful and effective moments here. I'll tell you what they are. Either way, that opening track, which really sets the tone for the record, You Are My Face, What Light, two or three other songs. It's a quiet, introspective record. Part of this may be my problem. I had expectations. I've been seeing Wilco tour for the last three years, and they have been ferocious. I forgot about that live album, Kicking Television. Maybe Tweedy's intention was, here is the ferocious heavy guitar Wilco. Now we're going to do something different. You can look at this as it's made in a loft that happens to be on the third floor, but you can look at it, this as their basement tapes. Mm-hmm. You know, they sat, and, and Tweedy made a point of saying, we sat in a circle. That's fine. You know, if any artist has earned the right to ask us to listen 12 times before an album kicks in, it's Tweedy, who I do not believe it is an exaggeration at all to say he's one of the most important songwriters that the alternative era generation, now he's 39, his age group has put out. Can't be overlooked that after A Ghost is Born, right as that album was coming out, he entered rehab for an addiction to prescription painkillers. He is now healthier, happier uh, than he's ever been. And some of that, I think, uh, is reflected in a sort of tedium on this record. There are tracks that are repetitive. I think Impossible Germany is one. There are tracks that are sleepy and backward-looking. There are tracks that are just completely misguided. I think he's doing a little feet thing on walking, and I really dislike it, and hate it here, where he's offering these domestic metaphors. I try to stay busy I do the dishes I mow long Try to keep myself occupied Even though I know you're not coming home Look, the last two albums, Ghost is Born and Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, were about reactions to the terrifying state of the world in the wake of 9-11, in the wake of the war in Iraq. Summer Teeth 
was about looking inside himself on a very beautiful record that sounds like Pet Sounds. Those were fascinating topics to talk about. We need that kind of discussion now more than ever. Tweedy's one of the rare artists who can give it to us. We need a lot more than talk about fresh sheets and clean dishes. Well, you know, well said about Summer Teeth and about Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, which I think is a masterpiece, and A Ghost is Born, which had some really fascinating sound experiments that were all over the map sonically. Uh, This record is a kind of a one-trick pony. It's one tone. And it's one mood, kind of extrapolated, and with six people in the room playing together in real time. The theme for this album is consolation. Consoling himself, consoling his audience. I think the point you made about expectations is a key one. There's a lot of baggage that listeners are bringing into Wilco and what they expect of Wilco and with this lineup. And again, once again, Wilco has blown away all those expectations by doing exactly what they want to do, which has nothing to do with what everybody else thinks they should be doing. Well, and I applaud that. And I think taken on its own terms, let this thing sink in. I don't think this is a record that is going to be very much appreciated, frankly. I think a lot of people are going to react to it the way you did, Jim. But I think in five years from now, people are going to appreciate this record a lot. Well, wait because a minute. I think, I think uh... it's a very slow subtle, beautiful record. Yeah. The textures on this record are amazing. When those three guitar players work together, John Stewart's bass playing, marvelous bass player. A lot of people are saying, well, Glenn Kochi, there's none of those displays of drums as texture and drum, drums as a, as, a, as a rhythmic engine for the band. I think he really serves the songs really well on this record, and that's understate, underrated and understated as well. Well, I agree. Uh, I and, agree. And on those five or six songs that click... But Tweedy is also singing about expectations. He expects to have a warm and loving world for his family and for people in the future. He's singing about an ideal. But these are not idealistic times. Wilco was very much in step with the times on the last three albums, and now they seem wistful and disconnected? No, I think he's very connected. I think he's talking about accepting a complex world and a complex life and sometimes a very hard life on its own terms. It's like... If you want to if you want to make this stuff away it's not going away. You have to accept what you have and make the best of what you have right now. There's a couple of tracks on here that don't work, but I think his singing is better than ever. He's quit cigarettes, he's off drugs. There's some soul inflections that I really like that has come into his voice, and I have to say this is a beautiful record. I I, I say it's a buy it. It was really difficult, uh, unusually so, for me to decide whether it's a, a buy it or a burn it. But we are talking about a guy who is career-wise up there with Neil Young and Bob Dylan. There's no way I can qualify that statement. You'll have to check back with me in 20 years, <laughs> and we're going to look. But Tweedy is going to have a catalog that's like Neil Young. There's going to be Trans. There's going to be Harvest. There's going to be uh, Crazy Horse Records. And this is a step on the journey, and it's worth taking uh, with him always. So uh, I'll go with Buy It. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Just across the way, I done lost the sea. Now I'm stranded on my own. Stranded far from home. Come on. Do you remember? We were shipwrecked together. Each week, one of us gets to pop a quarter in the desert island jukebox, and this week it is Jim DeRogatis' turn. Thank you, Greg. I uh, I was thinking about uh, where in rock this idea of trying on different personas and writing 
from those personalities throughout an album, where it came from, and how it's been done best, obviously in relation to Tori Amos's disc, right? I don't think he originated it, but I think one of the masters of it is Peter Gabriel. He's very been very theatrical and, and been different people throughout his career, going back to when he was on stage with Genesis, where he would come out as the watcher of the skies with the <laughs> bat wings and as the Puerto Rican graffiti artist of The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway or the messianic character of Supper's Ready. But boy, his masterpiece in terms of getting inside the head of different people was the third album. His first three records after leaving Genesis were all called Peter Gabriel. I'm talking about the one that came out in 1980, which uh, fans often call Melt because his face is melting on the cover. This is a truly extraordinary record for a couple of reasons. One is that Gabriel gets inside the head of some very dark characters. He's an assassin at one point. He's the inmate of an asylum. Uh, Obviously, he pays tribute to Biko, which is probably the best-known song on the album, Stephen Biko. The song I'm going to play, though, is No Self-Control, which I think is about a man on the verge of losing it, uh, losing it and doing something very violent, maybe killing his family, maybe violent explosion in public. You don't know, but he puts it in very human terms. I gotta get some food. I'm so hungry all the time. I don't know how to stop. And you think that, yeah, maybe somebody who has this unquenchable desire that will never be fulfilled, that drives them crazy, that that's how they would talk. And it's paired with music that is as powerful as those lyrics. The big story on this album was that Gabriel was working with an engineer, Hugh Padham, who had also done stuff for the police, went on to work with XTC, who invented or is credited with inventing the gated drum sound. Gate is an electronic device that's put on the microphone that opens for a specified amount of time on the drum and then closes, right? So that you get this really powerful drum hit and then silence. The drummers were Phil Collins, who came back to Gabriel after after they split sort of acrimoniously in Genesis, and Jerry Marotta, very underrated studio drummer. And Gabriel said to them, he was a drummer himself. When he played with Genesis, he would stomp on the bass drum. He kept a bass drum at his foot whenever he played. Um, So he knew drums, and he had this idea, I don't want cymbals. I don't want that high-end sound. I want a bottom-heavy sound. This is the birth of his interest in third-world music. African rhythms, he went on to form WOMAD, and and the rest of his career has been influenced by this. And so they were taking a different approach to the drums that would become very, very influential. You'd hear it a lot on XTC. You'd hear it a lot on hip-hop records. You know, you got this massive sound, heavy, heavy percussion, all tom-toms, and it all builds, Greg, to this point where he loses control. The rest of the album finishes the thought. He goes off, and he is an assassin, and he does some violence, but this is where he really loses it. It's a tremendous musical climax that uh, also showcases Robert Fripp on guitar. No Self-Control by Peter Gabriel. Gotta get some food. I'm so hungry all the time. I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to stop. Gotta get some sleep. I'm so nervous in the night. And I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to stop.
No Self-Control by Peter Gabriel, my Desert Island jukebox pick. Thank you for indulging the drum geek in me, Mr. Cobb. <laughs> that was fun to hear. Next week, we've got Wilco live in the studio band that we just talked about. We're going to hear from the band themselves, the story behind the making of Sky Blue Sky. I'm looking forward to it. Meanwhile, let me remind you that Sound Opinions is produced, as always, by our exquisite team of Todd Bachman, Matt Spiegel, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn, with our fearless leader being Tori Southside Malatia, who uh, was to have been a sixth persona on the Tori Amos record, but somehow she she forgot him. I don't know why. Well, Tori. Tori's Tori. on the record. Tori is Tori, you know? Maybe that was the Tori. Yeah. I gotcha. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. Mr. Telephone Man, there's something wrong with my line. When I dial my baby's number, I get a click every time. Please, operator, see what you can do. I dialed the right number, but I still couldn't get through. New messages. Hey guys, this is Jeff Markman in Chicago. I uh, just wanted to say I really enjoyed your review of the Arctic Monkeys' new album uh, and, and did agree that the sort of sophomore slump has kind of cursed those Brit rock bands. Uh, I, th- I think especially in France Ferdinand's case, it's too bad because I thought their second album was uh, potentially even better than the first. It just didn't seem to resonate with people. Thanks. Bye. Hey guys, this is Mark. One curiosity since I've been listening to the show, why is it the Desert Island jukebox and not the Deserted Island jukebox? I would think that you would be stuck on an island where there was nobody else around except maybe, you know, each other, but that the island wouldn't necessarily be in the desert. Just a curiosity. Keep up the good work. Hi, my name is Brian from New Jersey, and I'm calling it with a bit of input on your Feist review. I'm going to take a little bit of issue with what you guys said was possibly a move to make some money going to this more loungy sort of sound. And I just don't hear that in this record. And I think for two guys with as broad a musical palette as yourselves, perhaps you shouldn't go casting stones so quickly. I was revisiting your 2006 mixtape show yesterday, which was fantastic, and you got to hear all sorts of music from all sorts of people. And if you guys can have taste that broad, well, why can't Leslie Feist have taste that broad? And why can't she, as a musician, explore her tastes that happen to be from Peaches to Broken Social Scene to Nina Simone? Just my opinion. Thanks a lot.
my name is Andy. I'm from DeKalb, Illinois, and uh, this is my sound opinion. Uh, in addition to the Timbaland alarm and the uh, Brian Eno buzzer, you guys should have a, I guess, a Nina Simone siren. Maybe it's just been a coincidence, but it feels like that name's been dropped way more than those other two names in the show. You know, and also literally have a siren and an alarm and a buzzer. It would just amuse the bejesus out of me. Fish in the sea, you know how I feel. River running free. Hi, this is uh, Michael Wright. I'm a listener uh, listening in New York on WFUV and also, of course, getting the podcast. I caught uh, the last listener comment on the show from, I guess, Grant. <laughs> Hi, this is Grant. I do not like the sound opinions. No more sound opinions. Mr. Mopey, hey. I wonder if he's got satellite radio. Sounds like he just wants to listen to... Uh, banter-free, commercial-free music, which, hey, you know, it's up to everyone. But um, keep it up. I totally appreciate it. I value the views and the sound opinions of all your listeners. So uh, stick it to Mr. Mopey. No more messages. To give us your opinion on sound opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.